This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for June 16th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through chapter 8, verse 3. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today's Gospel lesson, we hear the story of Jesus being invited to dinner at a prominent Pharisee's home. And to understand a little bit of the context of this, the way this works is that when men were invited to dinner, particularly people like rabbis, it was dinner for the men. And so the men would all come in, and the only women who would be around were the women who were serving them. And so the, the men would go in, and they would lie down or recline on pillows because they didn't have tables the way that we have tables today. They had a, a very small table and you would recline with your elbow leaning up against the table. You'd have a plate put in front of you and you'd take flatbread usually and dip it in various um, things that were passed around that were in the center. And so the dishes that they served were sort of a soup type of mix and you would sort of uh, mix your bread up in that and eat. And then they would have conversations with one another while they talked. Um, so it wasn't like everybody sitting at a table the way we think of it, but they would recline at the table. And as I mentioned, women didn't go to these things, but particularly if it were rabbis, because this was usually a, a very deep discussion of theology and all. And, and in those days, they actually believed that that was too sophisticated for women. They couldn't really understand that stuff. Hey, a couple thousand years, we figured it out. It took... <laughs> so we aren't the brightest bulbs in the socket. The, um, and so as they're lying there and, and discussing, a woman comes in. Now, this is quite scandalous because she's crashing the party, which you really shouldn't be doing and, and really is not acceptable. But she comes in anyway. And not only does she come in, but she immediately... Uh, starts weeping uncontrollably, and she grabs hold of Jesus' feet, which, of course, are sticking out because everybody's laying sideways reclining. And with her tears, she is washing his feet. Now, what makes this even more interesting is it said, this was a woman of the city. What do you think that means? Yeah. Have, have, you ever, have you ever noticed that, that if, if you have a man about town, that's a good thing? But if you have a woman of the city, that's a bad thing. That seems very odd to me. But and, and so everybody here knew her reputation and what she was. And she was not the kind of person that good people associated with. And she was a sinner, an ostracized sinner, who people didn't want to really even acknowledge existed, much less have for dinner. And yet here she is in this prominent Pharisee's home, which is a disgrace to him. And she's weeping and fondling Jesus's feet. Now, that made it even worse because Orthodox you know, rabbis, Orthodox Jews, don't touch women who aren't in their family. It makes them unclean. And so here Jesus is doing nothing about this. And then it gets even worse. In these days, women wore scarves or completely covering their hair, much like the many Muslims do today, because hair was considered a very intimate sex object. 
We have see some of that in Paul when he says to the Corinthians, women should keep their head covered in church because your hair is the, your glory. And so they're telling them to keep their heads covered. And as a result, they may have been around long enough. You remember wearing those little paper doily things on top of your head when you forgot your scarf. That was kind of weird, wasn't it? I don't know where they thought, why they didn't cover your hair. I don't know why they thought that was significant. But it's interesting, if you go to Israel today, it's the men who have to put on a hat if you go into the holy places <laughs> and not the women. But so it's, it's the opposite. And so she comes in and she takes off her scarf, which is scandalous. No woman ever took off her scarf except for in front of her immediate family, her husband. Because it was considered a very intimate thing to do. And then she starts wiping his feet with her hair. And she has this very expensive ointment in an alabaster jar, which is a very expensive jar, and she starts anointing his feet. Well, Simon, the, the Pharisee, is shocked. I mean, he th- if this guy really were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this was. I mean, wouldn't take a prophet, honestly, to figure that one out. And he said, but he's just letting her do it. He would send her away if he you know, knew what kind of woman she was. Why in the world is he letting her do this? And Jesus does something fascinating at that point. He looks at Simon and he says, Simon, I have something I want to say to you. Now, anytime anybody says to you, I have something I want to say to you, it probably is not good. And if God tells you there is something he wants to say to you, it definitely isn't good. And yet that's exactly what he says to Simon. I have something I want to say to you. You see, Simon knows this woman. He knows what she's like. He knows that she's a sinner of the worst kind. And in his mind, this woman is basically trying to proposition this rabbi, which is horrible. Because he can't imagine this woman doing anything else. That's what she does. That's what she's like. And he finds her despicable. And so when he says, Simon, I have something I want to say to you. Simon says, speak, Rabbi, probably thinking this ought to be interesting. And he then looks at the woman. Now think about that. If somebody says, I have something I want to say to you, and then they turn and look the other way. He looks at the woman, not at Simon, although he's still talking to Simon. And he says, do you see this woman? Now, that's not just sort of like, did you notice there was a woman who came in the door? I mean, I suspect he knew that they knew that there was a woman in the room. But it was, do you see her? Do you really see her? Or do you just see what you've come to expect? You just see what you've come to know? Or can you move beyond your preconceptions and look into her heart? and see what's really going on. Now, why would Jesus ask Simon that question? No, I mean, what's really going on with a woman? Yeah, she's broken. She knows that she's a sinner. She's not pretending. She knows that she's despised and is despicable. And so she's there seeking a new life, a new chance 
a new way. And so when Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? He's really saying, stop looking at what you've always seen before. And look and see what's really going on here. He said, when I came here, you didn't even offer me water to wash my feet after a long journey. You didn't, you know, bother to anoint my head with oil. You know, you didn't do any of those things. You didn't kiss me, giving the sign of peace and greeting. And yet this woman, whom you despise, has not stopped, you know, washing my feet with her tears. Has not stopped anointing me. Has not stopped kissing, not just me on each cheek, but kissing my feet. And he said, she has many, many sins. That's true. But she's forgiven. So let me tell you a story. There were two men. One owed a banker $10,000. About what it would be in today's dollars. The other owed him $100,000. And the banker says to them both, your loans are forgiven, don't worry about it, you don't have to pay them back. And he says to Simon, which one do you think loves the banker more? Simon goes, well, I guess the one who was forgiven $100,000. That's a pretty good deal. He goes, you're right. And those who are forgiven because they have sinned more, love more. Because you see, that was Simon's problem. Simon didn't, wasn't a sinner, was he? You know, he, he probably wasn't perfect. Nobody's perfect after all. But he wasn't really wretched like this woman. And so his capacity to appreciate the love of God was reduced greatly. And as a result, he wasn't able to love as much. And yet this woman, who had nowhere else to turn, who was hopeless, loved greatly, so much so that she would even kiss Jesus' feet. Well, what's the reaction? The reaction of those around the table is they are shocked. How could he? Did they go to the facts that Jesus is talking about, about the woman you know, being repentant and do you see her? No, they don't do any of that. How dare he forgive her sins? Who does he think he is? Only God forgives sins. Does this guy think he's God or something? They're livid about the whole thing. Well, these two characters... The, the woman of the city, and um, Simon, the Pharisee, have a lot to tell us about us today. Because you see, all too often, we can be either one. In Simon's case, Simon was an upstanding, fine, religious uh, example, a model to the people of the synagogue of what it is that they should be. He knew all the right things to do. He used all of the right you know, words and always professed things the way that they should be. And so he believed that by following the law, he was doing what was right. And he wanted everybody to know that that was what you should do, and that was how he was doing it. And, and so he did. But as a result, he didn't see beyond that. He could only see the people who either did or didn't. And we have people like that today. Have you ever judged someone? And you thought, well, they don't change. They're always the same. They can't change. And you can't really see beyond what you already know. Let me tell you a story. When I was um, 
in uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, I um, got a phone call one time from the bishop. And the bishop called me and he said, Ron, what in the world is going on in Point Pleasant? It's always an interesting phone call to get in the morning, by the way, from the bishop. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I've got this letter here that is signed anonymous. I went, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and this letter says that you have been hanging out in a bar. I went, he says, is that right? And I said, well, I don't know that I would really call it a bar exactly. It's the American Legion post. <laughs> But yeah, it has a bar in it, and, and yes, I've been there. Why in the world would you be hanging out in a bar? Because that's where the sinners are, I said. And he said, what? I said, well, bishops, the people who come to my church are good people. <laughs> they have a hard time coming up with their sins. The people I meet at the bar know what they've done. They're the people who sit down and talk to me and say, we don't feel, you know, we couldn't come to your church. We're not good enough to come to your church. And I said, I've had more conversations with Jesus about Jesus in this bar than I've ever had in church. In church, we have discussions about a lot of things, like what we're having for coffee hour and how we should spend the money and all sorts of things. But very rarely do we actually sit around and talk about Jesus. I can spend four or five hours talking about Jesus in this bar. He says, well, are you drinking? I said, well, yeah, I guess. Now, if you've known me very long at all, you know that I don't really like to drink. I mean, I, you probably have rarely ever seen me have a drink of anything other than communion wine because I really just don't like alcohol that much, and I particularly hate the feeling of being drunk. I mean, I detest it with a passion. I don't like that weird sort of feeling I get. And so I would be there, and, and one of the things about an American Legion is they had things called chits. You know what chits are? They're like little chips. And people would buy you drinks by giving you a chit. I had like a whole poker tray full of cash that was under the bar because I would usually start off with one drink that was Jack and Coke, drink about half of it, and then ask the bartender for a Diet Coke, which is my drink of choice, which looks very much like Jack and Coke, so it worked out well. Um, and I would nurse that the rest of the night because that was about all I wanted to drink. And so we would sit and talk about Jesus. And I said, so I'm trying to proclaim the good news to the broken people, Bishop. Isn't that what I'm supposed to be doing? He said, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'm going to throw the letter in the garbage. <laughs> so he did. Well, Within a year or so, somewhere in that time frame, um, a guy, one of the guys who would hang out at the Legion, and he didn't mind drinking more than one drink. He drank a lot. He was a barge worker on the Ohio River. They had coal barges go up and down the Ohio River. And they would be out for a month, two months at a time. And, and then when they came in, they would tie one on, as they like to say. And, and, and this guy was one of those people who was particularly practiced at tying them on, I guess you would say. And he would usually end up in a fight somewhere and get thrown in jail for the weekend and then would go back out on the barge. And he was one of the people who wasn't worthy, who I would talk to. And so one Christmas Eve, we're, I'm in the middle of the sermon, and suddenly I see this fellow walk in. He'd just come off the barge, still had his coveralls on. You can imagine what you smell like coming off of a coal barge. 
particularly that you've been on for a month or so. And and he comes waltzing in, and the usher who is back there is a, a, is one of our upstanding members of the community in the church. And uh, he owns a business in town, so he knows this guy well. He grew up in town, as did the, the barge worker. And so he was one of those kids that did what was right when he was growing up. And, and this other kid was the one who was gotten in trouble all the time. So he knew what he was like. And the guy walks into church on Christmas Eve, and he looks at me and says, what are you doing here? Because he knew there was no real good reason for him to be there. Right? Probably thought he's drunk, he's going to come in and start a fight, cause trouble. Who needs it? And so the guy kind of hem-hauls around and says, well, um, um, I, 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 uh, I've been talking to Father Ron, and um, he keeps saying I'll come to church, and I thought, well, it was Christmas, and well, I mean, so I thought maybe I'd come. And, and the guy says, oh, well, all right. And so he looks in through these little windows in the door, and it's Christmas Eve. You can imagine what everybody looks like. I mean, they're all dressed up, you know, looking very nice. And I, I mean, give me an example. It's a small town, but I had seven millionaires in my congregation. So, I mean, it, it was, these were very prosperous upper you know, middle class and upper class people. And so they were dressed to the nines because it was Christmas Eve. He's in his coveralls covered with coal dust. And so he gets up and he says, I can't go in there. You got any place else I can sit? And he says, well, you can sit in the balcony. And so this one guy all by himself goes up and sits down in the balcony by himself. Now the good news is at the peace, somebody went up and got him and brought him down. So... There is always hope. But all too often, it's too easy for us to be like that usher or that Pharisee. We've known people too long and too well to ever believe that there could ever be a change. And we judge them by their reputation, not by what they really feel and who they are now. Now, if you don't believe that, what would you do if a convicted rapist is paroled and moves in next to you in your house. Would you bother to find out, now who is this guy now, 20 years later? Or would you decide, I don't want somebody like that in my neighborhood? Because you see, all too often, that's what we do. We jump to conclusions about people without bothering to really get to know them. And sometimes it would be a good thing to be wary of people, but sometimes it would be wrong to do that. So for us, there's a real lesson here about when we want to be like that Pharisee, and we do it easily. Have you ever gotten into an argument with somebody and said, well, I may have done that, but, but you did that, and that was a lot worse? Isn't it the same thing? on a lesser scale, that we categorize our sins and there's like a hierarchy of who's the best and who's the worst. I've always thought it'd be so much fun if we just get a congregation on Sunday morning. Let's go through and find out where everybody is on the pecking order of sinfulness. <laughs> who's the, I mean, that would be so weird, wouldn't it? Because part of our problem is, is that while we would never say that we don't sin because that would be prideful, right? But we also don't talk about what our sins really are. 
Because we don't really like to think about them ourselves, do we? Much less have other people know what they were. And so they're just sort of there. You know, the one thing, great thing about Anglicans is that we are all uh, sinners. We're just generic sinners. And we come to church and we confess our generic sin. And we get our generic forgiveness. And we go 